Hello and welcome back to Eden's Apple Podcast. This is Valerie. This is Kim. You can find me online as the Tumbleweed Witch. And you can find me online as Cactus Fairy. This is a very special episode. Not that these are going to be released in like chronological order, but we're actually sitting in the same room. Oh my gosh. For the time, I want to note that it is 2021, early in 2021, and we're still pretty much just being goblins in our own houses. Yeah, yeah, because I don't work and you work from home, so I just decided to be a goblin in this house for a little bit. <laughs> it's always good to switch up your, your locale of goblinism. You gotta be a well-rounded goblin. Absolutely. So... <laughs> Um, we're doing like a pretty conversational episode. I think we're just going to talk about how religion affected our relationships and how that kind of played out for us, the messages we received in childhood. And just sort of as a trigger warning, we will be talking about, I guess, relationship type trauma. So, but you know, there's, there's a lot to be said and I hope that everyone else can find a point of reference for where we're coming from. And, and if you've got stories, we want to hear them. We have an email. Uh, and that email is EdensApplePodcasts at gmail.com. Do you want to go first or shall I? I think that you have a lot to say. I'll, I'll let you go. <laughs> I always have a lot to say. <laughs> I mean, I do love to talk about myself. So I'm, I'm going to start kind of like with the general, the early messages I received about what marriage is like. I was raised in an evangelical church and obviously the only acceptable form of relationship was a heterosexual marriage consummated on the wedding night. I actually was given a marriage guide that said you shouldn't perform oral on your spouse. Wow. <laughs> I'm so sorry to anyone who has uh, lived out that, those relationship guides. Early on, I was told that like you can't have emotional intimacy with the opposite sex unless you're literally having sex with them and in a marriage. You couldn't be friends with men. Only women were safe. Marriages that I had as examples to look at were very contentious. They really did kind of push the idea of marriage as being a constant struggle. And every time I had some sort of beef with a boy, they would be like, oh, you're gonna grow up to marry him. Eventually I said that if I had kids, I wouldn't spank them. And then my whole family mocked me for that. And then eventually wow. I just started saying, I'm never gonna get married. And then my dad got all upset about it once. He's like, I don't know why, where you kids got the idea that marriage is a bad thing. And I'm like, I learned it from watching you, Dad. And we've talked about this a little bit already, but we we had best friends. So I'd have one particular female friend, and this was like commonplace in the entire group of girls in the church. I think there may have been a few instances of saying things like, oh, I wish I was a boy, or I wish you were a boy. Because it you would form these extremely strong emotional relationships, and then there'd be this kind of romantic element of like, but we're destined to part, fated to never be together because eventually we have to get older and start liking men. But they also like really preached the idea of women being submissive. That was definitely an underlying theme in all things related to women inside of Mormon teachings and just being a part of the LDS church. Mormonism has some of their own quirks around the concept of marriage. They certainly do. So one of the things, at least as far as the afterlife, it's important to marry and consummate your marriage. And because you couldn't reach the highest levels of heaven, if you 
did not get married, and you also couldn't reach the highest levels of heaven if you didn't have your own children. You literally, <laughs> like, these things were tickets to the, the, the best version of the afterlife that you could have. It wasn't even good enough to just be like heaven or hell. You had to have levels of heaven. Yeah, there's got to be levels. You Everyone had to earn gets your their way own. into upgrading your seats to, to heaven instead of the airplane to celestial town. Um, I... I'm just gonna say, for the record, that sounds like a shitty reason to have children. Absolutely. Please <laughs> do not have children. They will not get you to heaven any quicker. I mean, if you have children if you want to have children, but don't have children as a ticket to heaven. Do you remember, like, maybe what your early thoughts about that were? Like, what did you... I, when I was very young, would crush on boys or girls I would get these really intense childhood crushes and I was a little baby romantic I mean I wanted it all I wanted kisses in the rain and all of those things until I reached a different age and trauma kind of replaced that what did you think about the concept of a marriage when you were a little a little baby when I was a kid, it was really difficult for me. I think I was cynical of marriage from a relatively early age because my parents seemed so unhappy in their marriage. So I was, you know, I really wanted more than anything the companionship of someone that I could, like, spend my life with that I didn't hate or, you know, like, could tolerate and enjoy uh, the company of. But there was, I, I knew that the church had, um, had the expectation that you would get married. And there was this kind of expectation also that you were always kind of looking for the, the potential future mate. And they would have these dances where they're like, you get to go and dance with the people who are a different gender, golly by gee whiz. So yeah, I mean, they, they wanted you to find your forever. And they really you know, set up an environment where that interaction is extremely charged and you find yourself not really capable of having normal, commonplace interactions with mm-hmm. the opposite gender because you've had it drilled into your heads how big of a deal it all is. Yeah. I think that more than anything, they told us just to wait. That, like, you were... You were too young to be having these sort of feelings. You should never think about your sexuality. And so I think that I just like totally mentally checked out. Like I, I totally did was that just too. Uh, I had I just didn't even think about sexuality, and I it was, took me a long time to yeah. find figure out sexuality because I was of it. Functionally asexual until I actually started having sex. I just didn't experience attraction. I somehow shut that part of me down. I don't think it was a natural inclination on my part, so much as that I was told that I would go to hell if I thought about someone the wrong way, you know? Mm-hmm. And I actually realized that I was into women before I realized I was also into men because we were allowed to be friends with women. And I I remember I was in high school and I was in the nurse's office and I was like, I'm attracted to women. I'm going to go to hell. And then I just straight up was like, I'm going to deal with that later. (laughs) Put it away. 
just, I'm going to put that under the pillow and we're just not going to talk about that We're going to figure that out later. I think that for the better part of my life, it was probably a good thing that I, I didn't really come out as being attracted to the opposite sex or, or just generally, I guess maybe I can explain that uh, I, I identify as demisexual. So I have to have like, in order to be sexually attracted to someone, I first have to cultivate like a friendship with them. And I need to like feel safe and like trust them before I can actually like let myself go, I guess, enough to have like a a sexual relationship with someone. And I think that was definitely kind of the goal of religion was just like, you made sure that people just like put dicks and pussies on pedestals for so long right that you get so precious about it you know it's like so precious you know you have to really trust the person and that's really not how it is but it was so ingrained inside of my life that is now a part of my sexuality the part that they couldn't control was me being capable of falling in love and being sexually attracted to women and men and people who identify in between. I kind of had maybe an opposite reaction. Once I got out of that environment, I learned that I am capable of experiencing sexual attraction quite easily. Sexual intimacy, I've kind of created this like divide in myself because like when you're told for so long that sex is dirty and sinful, I'm like, I don't want to hurt anyone that I care about, right? So I would have sex with people I didn't care about. I experience romantic attraction far less often than I actually experience sexual attraction. But yeah, same. I got out and I'm like, oh, I'm pansexual. I literally do not care what your gender is. Mm -hmm. If you're hot, I'm probably down. And for me, it's even not like this physical thing. It's just like emotional thing first. And then it's a physical thing. Yeah, really weird. And I remember the first time really realizing that I was attracted to same sex was at girls camp. So girls camp. Girls um, camp. I'm just going to say from what you've told me, it sounds pretty gay. It's pretty gay. Okay. It's especially gay for people who are already inclined to be gay. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so yeah, I mean, it was the time that um, the young women's or like the Mormons would go and they would have the girls go for a summer and stay in some, some cabins or sometimes we were just camping in tents. It just depended on what the budget of the, the church was at the time. But I remember being 13 or something and I had had thoughts and I had a, a lot of dreams about women, but it was just, at the time, I didn't even know really what sex was. Uh So it was like, is this just like a dream I'm having because I'm like bonding with someone and it seems like maybe sexual? So yeah, like things like that would happen to me prior to that, but it was like when I got to see my friend again, like, and we had like, over the years, you didn't get to see people from the other wards of your church. That sounds so apocalyptic. Yeah, you didn't get to see anyone from... Yeah, the wards. (laughs) Because they broke them up uh, into the different wards based on your location. So that would determine like what times you would meet up at the church to go to your um, sermons. I was always so excited to see uh, my friends from girls camp because we had kind of like all of the the outcasts among the wards kind of grouped up together and we were just like, okay, yeah, we're the weird ones in the group. (laughs) 
group. The, the queer kids tend to find their way towards each other. I've talked to a lot of these girls now, and they're, you know, they're definitely more left-leaning. A lot of them have left the church much like myself. We did have, like, a similar thing to that. We didn't have a camp, or there was a a camp, but it was like a boot camp. I didn't go. A boot camp? Oh, yeah, no. It was Sounds like, like we're a gonna good whip way to you into <laughs> shape. We're gonna make you little soldiers for Jesus. But we had outreaches and we had a music scene every weekend. There would be a concert. And so people in the churches would start bands. I was in a band with my dad and some of the younger single men. And I felt like such a badass. The girl guitarist in the all dude band. So on outreach, sometimes people would come from other churches within the fellowship to help you outreach or their band would come to play for you or, you know, things of that nature. We'd have a youth rally and it was always, I had my special favorite friends that I met. I met my best friend in a church in and she was my best friend for a while and it was too, like every time I got to see her. I was so excited. Well, they really do make it where like church is the way you get to socialize. Right. There is definitely an emphasis on don't go and like party with your friends. Right. Go to, you know, young women's instead or the social outreach or whatever sort of dance or, you know, tailgate thing that the church was hosting. They would, they tried their best to always make like these after school things to keep kids from going and doing math. And I guess compared to doing math, I'm glad that I did church instead. Yeah, but but are those really the only choices? No, they're not. Nothing church. Um, I mean, in the community I grew up in, it kind of felt that way. But... Uh, what? I've told you my first sex dream that I ever had. Um, I don't know if you remember, and I don't know if I've told it on the podcast before. I don't think you have. But I think I would have been like 11 and just had puberty. I had a dream that I was part of a secret cabal of women assassins. And the way we killed our targets was by anointing our vaginas with poison that the men would absorb through their skins. We had an immunity to it. So I literally dreamed that I went and I rode some dude's dick and then got up and walked away and he was dead. (laughs) So there's a lot to unpack there. There's some real obvious problems. You notice real fast what you're different about. You become acutely aware of how you don't fit into the norm. Crushes. I have a particular crush that stands out to you. At that girls camp, there was a girl that I just, I had eyes for. So yeah, like looking forward to seeing them. And then like finally when I got like a home computer, we connected and, but it was weird because we were both like these Mormon girls and we're still socialized to think that, you know, being attracted to one another was wrong. We definitely had like this connection and this like, it was more than just being girlfriends. Yeah, I had a variety of different friendships that almost, felt like relationships because of the small town Republican it's Arizona so like everyone's kind of a little bit crazy about stuff like that uh, it's so hard to you know make that connection last and with boys I, I definitely I certainly had a few crushes but they were not I don't know, just kind of just a regular school girl crush. Nothing that I would have ever worried about consummating or trying to marry them. 
I remember thinking that the girls that were planning their marriages when they were like 13 or like 10 were crazy and I was just like in no hurry for marriage. I didn't want to get I didn't want to get married, but to me it seemed like the only way to gain some measure of independence. Mm. Like it was the only way to get out of my parents' house was to marry someone and move in with them. Okay, well, first of all, I'm going to tell a little experience. I probably told you this story before, but like I was in maybe first grade and I had a little friend who was my best friend in the world and her and I used to pretend to be cats, which basically was just rubbing our faces on each other and purring. (laughs) And I remember at the time someone being like, hey, are you guys gay? And I didn't know what that meant. So I was like, I don't know. (laughs) Uh, And I didn't figure that out until later. But yeah, it was pretty gay. It's pretty gay. I definitely would get jealous if they talked to guys, my best friends. I viewed marriage as being the only way to get out from under this scrutiny. Like maybe if I'm in my own house, maybe if I'm not living with my parents, I won't have people monitoring my behavior all the time. So the way it worked in our church was we would have these outreaches. So churches were constantly sending members to other churches. And then you would meet people on the outreaches. Generally speaking, you didn't marry people that were in your home city church. You would find someone from a different city and you'd go marry them. And then the woman would move to the city that the guy lived in. On these outreaches, I think the theory was that a guy would take an interest in a girl. He would talk to his pastor. His pastor would talk to your pastor. And if everybody in that chain was like, it's okay, then you could start courting or whatever which come to think of it um my pastor fucking hated me as far as i know guys were trying to set this thing up but he flat out told my ex-husband that i wasn't mature enough to get married when i got married he was right but not for the reasons he thought so what i ended up doing is kind of just picking a dude in my church and it was like a big scandal because he was not a church kid he was a new convert we dated for a year we were engaged for like four or five months it was just like let's just get this done because we were having sex we were told not to even hold hands it's just not realistic and so when you do have physical contact all of the emotions and brain chemicals and things that get brought up in that contact you're fully unequipped to deal with just say no not really a, a strong strategy but it seemed like I need to hurry up and get married so because if they find out that I'm having sex outside of marriage, I'll be publicly sat down for ministry and shame and everybody will know why. And I was like the church's favored daughter. My dad was a pillar in the church. It was like a big deal. And I mean, I told you my parents didn't know going into it that there would be rules for me. That I think is one of the experiences that I tend to feel isolated in. A lot of the girls that I know that got out of that kind of ministry did not actually get married. Did you ever date anyone while you were in the church? I dated people, but because I didn't date people within the church, there was literally no one in my ward that I was attracted. I was interested in alternative people. I was an alternative person and everyone in my church was very Mormon. Mm -hmm. Was just very white, very straight-laced, 
Republican button down. down. To the point where I almost have an aversion to people who are too traditionally attractive. Oh god, I get that too. I get that too. Where I'm just like, that person looks like someone who goes to church, so I I automatically just like, mmm... Close legs. It feels bad to say, but like honestly, anyone who is religious enough to mention it on a dating profile, no. Oh, no. Yeah. I'm if not you're interested. Like, I praise Jesus on your dating profile, then I'm like. Thanks for the heads up. Ooh. <laughs> Both the women and the men within the church itself. I'm sure if I had dated someone in the church at any point, there would have been rules. There would have been like, you know, us talking with a counselor. But because I sort of dated outside the realm of the church, it never came up. They were never going to like come to my church to come and check it out. Although my parents, of course, would like talk to them and be like, well, are you religious? And So your parents allowed you to date people outside the church? I guess more than anything, I knew what I shouldn't share with my parents. Yeah. And I was pretty pretty quiet about anything relationship-wise because there was nothing I was, like, really heavily invested in. There were people I had crushes on. There were people who asked me out, and then I would say yes. And Because it wasn't someone who put a lot of value inside of those interpersonal relationships at the time when I was young. I wouldn't even really bring it up unless like my parents knew their parents and then they would talk about and tease me about, you know, oh, you know, they're dating and... I feel like it's fairly common that the people who don't stay in the church long term are the people who were the most committed very, very active. And I was like that. I took it for granted that I would never be allowed to date someone out of the church. I never even asked. It was the only option really presented to me. And I was not about to go to the effort of having that fight with my parents. The dude I married was 26 when we started dating. I was 18. I was still in high school. But also, I chose that. I wanted to date him. At the time, it seemed like my best option to get out of the situation that I I was in. But what I found when I got married, because we, we spent so much time sneaking around trying to make out and have sex that we didn't really have time to get to know each other. Everything was already a problem. So we had to hide everything. It wasn't a good environment for me to like take a step back and be like, I should not be with this person. This There's red flags left and right. It put me in the position of being like, because I've had sex with this man, I have to marry him. We got married. The environment that I wanted to escape, which was emotionally abusive and physically abusive at times, it was also a very stable, very structured environment. And I moved in with my ex-husband and he was still emotionally manipulative and abusive, but it was pure chaos. So even the stability and structure that I had had was gone. Our honeymoon was absolutely bonkers. Everything that could go wrong went wrong. A complete disaster. He took us to Florida. He got the trip through a Watch Our Timeshare seminar, and then you get free tickets to some things. Wow. We we got to the hotel so late, we didn't get to stay in the hotel we were supposed to stay in. We had to stay in a really, really shitty hotel that had a cockroach. I saw, I saw it. I saw oh. a cockroach. Then we go to this timeshare seminar and he's just like, it's fine. We just got to go and listen to him talk. We don't have to buy anything. See, my ex-husband was and is a complete moron. So this guy who's pitching is talking him into it. And I'm like, 
what the fuck are you doing? And the guy got up and left for a minute. I turned to my ex and I was like, no, absolutely not. No, 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 we have to go. We have to get out of here now. We have to leave. And the guy was coming back as we were leaving and he was like yelling at me. He was mad. He's like, you're gonna regret this. Oh my God. Just, we were late to everything we went to. We had no money. We were supposed to go on a cruise to the Bahamas, but he lost our birth certificates, so we couldn't go. Oh my gosh. We went to get Subway and his card got declined at the Subway. Oh no. And he's looking at me like, well, you pay for it. And I'm like, I don't have any money. I don't know. Like, what did you plan to do when you got us out here? And the girl just gave it to us. I ran away in my sleep a couple times. I used to sleepwalk a lot. And so I woke up outside the hotel room in the parking lot of the hotel, like wrapped in a blanket, like, oh my God. My body was like, we need to go. We need to get out of this situation. Your brain knew what was right, but you just couldn't do it at that time. Yeah, I don't care. Get us home, get us home now. I don't care what you have to do. I think he actually got a new credit card to buy our tickets back. Oh my God. Like it was so bad. And I got home and I was just crying and crying and crying. It was Christmas and we went to my parents and I fell asleep on the mattress in my old room. It was just the bed and the bare mattress in my old room. Then I woke up alone and they had turned the lights off. I mean, I remember lying on the bed in the hotel room because I had to sleep in a separate bed because he kept pushing me off the bed in his sleep. He wouldn't have sex with me. It was like pulling teeth to get him to have sex with me. As soon as we got married, he didn't want to have sex with me anymore. Oh my God. So I'm just like lying in bed in the dark, listening to him snore. And I was just like, is this what I left my family for? Oh no. It was so fucked up. Oh man, that's rough. If there's anything that this episode does, I hope it helps people realize that they don't have to put up with the shit we put up with when we got into first relationships. You deserve better. So my first relationship, it lasted, oh gosh, like seven years. Is this the, the one particular one? Yeah, definitely the one particular one that's worth talking about. Because it was just directly out of high school. We, we had been dating when we were juniors. The guy who took me into the tunnel underneath the school to give him a blowjob. Oh, you know, like, we talked about that. That, that, that. The person that I had like my first sexual experiences with, person that like I, after I had sort of like left the church, but was still very damaged from it just having no idea what to do with my body or like how to even like please myself until after someone had already touched me right like that sort of experience and i think that's a really common experience for people who have been inside of like church environments is not talked a little um, bit about that in the last episode we we recorded which these are not consecutive but it was my experience and i know many others experience that i didn't know where my vagina was until someone else had touched it yeah just the fact that that's a thing is insane. I mean, it's a weird conversation to have with a kid to be like, you should try to masturbate, but honestly, like, know yourself before someone else does. Right. Like, I feel like I shouldn't have had to learn that way. Right. A big part of it is that it's an avoidance. They don't want to have a difficult conversation about, like, this is what this part is and this is what this part does. So they're just like, oh, it's all for marriage. Don't think about it. Yeah, it's all for marriage. Don't think about it. I, I had already decided I didn't want to get married right away. I'd already decided I didn't want to do the path by the time I had met this person. 
Yeah, by the time I was a junior, I, you know, I had pretty much checked completely out of the church and wanted to rebel in like a really like intellectual sort of way. I like, was still terrified of sex and my body and relationships and emotions and still kind of had that sort of patriarchal view about because like I was like, if I'm going to be with this person, this is going to be the person I'm going to be with for the rest of my life. Right. They're like the kind of culture they have around it where you can't talk to uh, someone of the opposite gender at all unless that's someone you would consider marrying like and I I honestly I think I internalized that quite a lot this was a person that I could have left at any time you Mm -hmm. know I was smart enough I had the the scholarships I had worked really hard in school to excel and be independent from but it was also a thing where it's like two is better than one moving out on my own I was afraid I was afraid to do yeah. all that on my own and so it was this thing where it was like well we're gonna do this together because I am afraid as a, a single person to go out and do these things uh, and I was I, I fell in love with this person but it was just a bad situation. I felt more like their mother than I was there. You know, I was I was supposed to be the driving force that drove both of us. Right. And I could really only be the driving force for myself. And so I ended up putting all of my energy driving them and not being able to put all that energy into myself. I got that with my ex-husband too, which was interesting because he was eight years older than me. But I really did have to act as a parent. Nothing takes the sexual aspect out of a relationship like having to parent someone like it's such a turnoff I couldn't think of him in a sexual way because I I was having to he was so dumb he was so dumb but I think this is common to both of us that the environment we are raised in you are taught that relationships are kind of a miserable slog and your duty is to get through it and work it out I never wanted that for myself. I didn't want the relationship that my parents had. I had a strong belief that relationships could eventually be like a partnership, like where you're both working towards living your best lives independently and together. I'm really happy to say that like presently I'm in a good place, but my first relationship and the one that kind of taught me all of this was really just very one-sided and you know I would pay for everything I was the person who just did everything I would plan everything I would cook everything and they just contributed being my mate I guess like I I think about it now and I'm like I don't even know what they did that's like actually what got me out of my relationship I left him after five years being married so like six years together he was never content to live within the amount of money we had. We always had to be living at slightly too expensive of a level. And so at one point he wanted me to take a second job so we could afford our apartment. And I was just like, if I'm working two jobs, I can afford my own apartment. I don't know what you think you're bringing to the table anymore that I should work my ass off to keep this relationship afloat and keep us housed. And I can do this alone. You're making it worse. Yeah, I mean, I had taken some time out of my school so that I could support him to finish his degree. Oh, honey. And then he finished his degree, and then he didn't do the same for me. We ended up, I just drew the line. I was so miserable. I tried polyamory because I was so miserable. I thought maybe if I had introduced someone else, I would feel 
more complete like maybe that was what I needed but it was it was not because I needed more people I just needed someone who was actually there someone who was actually there for me like emotionally and physically and really he was only there for me physically we had a moment we had like after a certain point our marriage was technically open my ex-husband was like oh you're the coolest wife ever oh you don't have a problem with that that means you're so cool it means that I just don't care anymore like I have lost any kind of emotion that I had around you that was positive. I don't care what you do. And I feel like this happens to a lot of people who end up doing uh, polyamory because they think it's going to fix their relationship. And when I talk to people who actually do functional polyamory, they're like, oh yeah, those are the worst ones. No, it's usually, (laughs) like, it's usually a status. If your relationship was always polyamorous, But for me, it wasn't about any of that. I just couldn't care less. It was like, if it keeps you occupied. I just needed something at the time. And like, to find out that things could be different than the way that they were. Right, right. Because it's Um, your first relationship and you haven't had good relationships modeled for you, really. No. For me, it was like a way of... And I ended up meeting a bunch of people and finding excellent friends out of those people uh, that I ended up dating during my polyamorous. But I, I... Because I'm... I found out later that I'm demisexual. I can't, I can't have one night stands. I can't get emotionally, I have to like. I think that the statement it's safe to make is do not use polyamory as a tool to try to fix the relationship issues you don't want to look at. Absolutely. It will not work. Do not recommend. (laughs) Um, Also just for the sake of people who are truly polyamorous. Don't try and do that because you're just gonna make their their lives more. You difficult. just you just you just create a lot of drama that doesn't yeah. need to happen. What really ended up needing to happen was me leaving them, and it did happen, and I separated from them. But we st- he still wanted to see me. He still wanted to be my boyfriend, and so we would every so often meet after he graduated, and after I decided to move out and spend some time with my mother and help her out while she was getting surgery. He would come to visit me, but yeah, he. He, he went to move back in with his parents even though he had gotten his degree and he could have done something with it. His mother would drive him up. Uh, so we all went out to dinner one night and it was the worst dinner. And he was an absolute ass to me. I was fed up. I literally was just like, they were driving and I was like I want out of the car. Let me out of the car. I will walk home from here because it wasn't that far from where I was maybe like half a mile. So I, I was just that. like I'll walk half a mile. It was cold. It was probably like February and but it ended up being a screaming match and then me walking home and then giving my mother a call and then like someone inside of the motel that was next to the terrible restaurant we went to being like do I need to call the cops and it was like this huge dramatic scene and then I was just like no I'm just gonna walk away I'm just gonna not deal with this and then his mother and his sister and his sister's kid was in the car and I was just like, this is the end. This is absolutely the end. I'm never going to see this person again. Oh my again. God. Don't let that happen to you. It doesn't, just... it doesn't need to get to that point. <laughs> yeah, just don't keep on 
saying yes to bad situations when you don't want to see one and they don't treat you right. Yeah. Um, just because they're your first, you know. And I feel like that's one of those things crush. that I've, I've learned that like if something seems like it's going to be a problem in the long run, I don't need to wait to see that play out. I can stop that now. And for me, leaving my ex-husband, I kind of just like played it off the whole time I was in the process of moving out and moving on. I told him that we could be friends with benefits after I left. He's like, we can be friends with benefits. I'm like, sure, whatever, whatever. Yeah, like I, I told him whatever it would take to get me out of that situation. That is exactly how it happened for me too. When we moved on, I was like, you know, we can still see each other and maybe like do physical things sometimes. And but really, I just wanted to cut ties completely. But right. I just it just had to be whatever would placate them so that they right. wouldn't be sh- even more shitty about it than they right. already were. Which is not a position you should put someone in. No. And if you're in that position, don't feel bad. It's on them if they're going to make this much of a problem absolutely about it like you have to do what you have to do to get yourself safe mine was six years total I know yours was long term as well seven yeah the next relationship I had I was single for maybe a year or two in that time is when I really got into hardcore sex addiction so I'm going to mention um, sexual assault I just want to put a content warning there but after I'd been single for a year or so I got on internet dating I got on and literally the first guy I met off I let him just come to my house to watch anime because I believed him because I had no experience with the world and so I was like sure you can come over and watch anime he did rape me at that point I could no longer say that I'd only had sex with one person with all of the purity culture messaging that I had gotten it became well I'm dirty now what does it matter what I do I was also in a bad place with like the rest of my circumstances and I launched into like a good solid four years of sex addiction one of the people that I met off of during that time period he had just moved to and got in a job like a really high paying government job so he had a lot of money and he was living in a bedroom in someone's house for $400 a month so he had money to spend and so he just started paying my bills basically i was sell i was selling all my stuff because i had to move back t- home because i had nowhere to go and lost my job and all of this stuff and he just started paying for everything he started buying all the stuff i was selling and he started kind of being a source of emotional support it was comforting and also there was this kind of sense that like i owed him because he was spending all this money on me we just kind of fell together into a relationship for three years and the relationship was never exclusive. He made it clear right off the bat that he was polyamorous and that, you know, it was not an exclusive relationship. And I dated another person during that time period, but he was not a total idiot because my ex-husband was a complete moron. So for me, it did feel emotionally like a step up because he was financially supportive and capable and we could hold a decent conversation. It makes a big difference being able to hold a decent conversation. It really does. (laughs) And like, at least he had interesting opinions and shit. 
I've never dated anyone who I couldn't have a good conversation with. There's there's definitely a level of maturity that I, I only tolerate now. So what was your second relationship like? After that chapter of my life sort of ended and after kind of spurious dating, I did end up dating someone after that who uh, we ended up having like a two-year relationship. And one, one year of that was long distance because they were uh, in and I was in f It was a really healing relationship. It was someone who I didn't think of my as, as like an intellectual equal, but they appreciated me so much. I appreciated them and everything that they offered and they were always there for me emotionally and to talk and physically. And it was just really nice to be in a relationship even though I didn't have quite what I was looking for because I, I do really like someone who can like challenge me on an intellectual level. It was a huge boost to my self-esteem and I think to theirs as well to have someone steady in their life and would go out and do things and take them to things that were uh, new and different and I think at that point I was really dismissed from all of the nonsense about you know what I had grown up with inside of my my childhood and I wasn't focused at all on marrying anyone uh, I was just really focused on being my best self and finding someone else who was interested in being their best self. I think that if even those two things are the things that you guys can focus on, that's yeah. that's a good relationship. I would say that that's what I'm looking for now is a person that I feel like I can grow with. Growth is super important. And even though that relationship didn't end up being the permanent one, it was still really good. Which is another thing I'm really passionate about, that uh, length of a relationship does not determine whether or not it's a good relationship. Because I feel like people, especially in the cultures we came out of, if a relationship is not a lifelong partnership, then it's invalid. Which is not true. Like, definitely my second relationship taught me things. It allowed me to have higher expectations for how I should be treated. I started dating a girl that I met through my boyfriend and the kink community that he was a part of. She was honestly. That's the thing when you start out polyamorous is they were 100% chill. They were mm. both cool with it. We'd all hang out and talk together. It was the first time I had been involved in a kink community and I think I got spoiled honestly. Because <laughs> they were so, so good. They were so on the level. Well, for the most part. Like, there were shitty people, but that's kind of a given. That's gonna happen. Yeah. Um, but everybody was honest with themselves and with each other about what they wanted. <laughs> when I moved to and I immediately jumped into a sexual relationship with someone because they said they wanted a certain thing. And I was like, okay, well, this is what I want. And I took it for granted that they were being honest with me about what they wanted. I kind of recognize now that they were not capable of being honest with me about what they wanted because they weren't being honest with themselves. The relationship with my girlfriend was incredibly healing. And out of, out of all the people I've dated, so I've dated three people, I've been in three major relationships, I guess. She's the coolest person. I did not apply a lot of my bullshit standards around relationships to my relationship with her because it was gay. It was already outside of the realm of what was acceptable in my religion. Funny how that happens too. And I did have um, a short relationship. It was a really complicated night. My primary uh, same-sex relationship was a really complicated one because she was a married woman. And this was during my polyamorous period. She was a married woman. I was still kind of trying to figure out myself with the, the previous 
this person and she had kids and it was really hard to make time for her but that was also a, a, a good experience overall and you don't apply all those like expectations and to like you know it makes you just enjoy their being around right. them yeah because there's something about it where you're like it's already not okay so I don't need to put all these other rules around it and that so that was the last serious relationship I've been in I did struggle with sex addiction for a while after that. And I think that moving forward for me, it's going to be looking for someone that I can have both emotional and physical intimacy with. And so I'm gonna, there's healing work that needs to go into that on my part. And, you know, not viewing my body as dirty, not viewing sex as dirty and harmful. Like there's more vulnerability. To me, it's more vulnerable to have both sexual and emotional intimacy with someone. Oh, like, it feels yeah. like they have too much control over me. To a certain degree, I now that I'm in a relationship that's quite stable, I did actually, I did the, the thing I never thought I was going to do. I married someone. <laughs> I did this crazy thing, and I did it in the opposite way that they would have ever expected me to. Someone proposed to me, and they I married them because they were the person that um, I wanted to. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> and that offered me all the things I was looking for in uh, someone I wanted to be uh, married to. I kind of view it like going through the apocalypse using the buddy system. Yeah. Like, that's what I'm looking for, really. I'm looking for someone I can ride out the end of the world with. Exactly. Someone I can have conversations with. Someone, someone who intrigues with. me a little bit, you know, piques my curiosity. and. I definitely feel like that's going to go better for me in my 30s than it did in my 20s. I feel like I spent a lot of time in my 20s trying to be somebody I wasn't because I was trying to be what people wanted. Now, I, I which is another bad coping mechanism, but I'll, be, I'll bring up the crazy real quick. Like, <laughs> I want you to know what you're getting into because if you can't handle it, you should move on. We don't yeah. need to go through this if you can't handle it. I'm a different kind of person. I appear quite normal, but I, I've got a lot of quirks. And I've got all of this, this great, like past religious bullshit that I have to work <laughs> through. So, you know, if, if you can handle all that, then See, I like you're to, a pretty excellent person. I like to hide the true, soft, gooey center of my soul and surround it with walls of issues that look like red flags so that <laughs> people will stay away unless they're really serious about it. It's hard to find someone you vibe with and... I feel like I spent a lot of time and it certainly wasn't something right away and I had to go through a lot of discomfort and pain before I figured myself out enough to find what I was looking for. Yeah, I'm focusing on that right now um, because I, I hide a lot of the coolest things about me because I don't want to be taken advantage of. Learning that I can truly embody myself and also protect myself when I need to. I'm working on trying to become the kind of partner that I would want to have. And I feel like learning how to do all that stuff, like I had to learn how to clean and cook and function as an adult. And I feel like it's easier to learn that stuff while I'm single than to try to learn it while you're also trying to learn to deal with another person in your life in that way. Especially if they also don't know all of their right. skills. What we know, what we've learned, how, you know, growing up in those environments sort of set us up for failures and then eventually coming to terms with what it is that we're, we're looking for. We hope that everyone is able right. to overcome those 
you know, quicker than maybe we. I think to sum it all up, take care of yourself first. Yeah. You'd be a better partner if Tell- you take care of yourself. And there are a lot of different experiences that I'm sure you all have had. And I'd be very interested to hear anybody's uh, experiences. Especially for someone who ended up having a child in those relationships like that. Because it's something that never ended up happening to me. Because I know that, you know, that puts like an extra layer of stress on keeping a relationship together. So on that note, uh, go out and sin a little, I guess. Yeah, just a little bit of sin. Sprinkle some sin in your life just for us. Keep it from being bland. Yeah, you gotta have a little bit of cinnamon to it's, spice things up. It's boring if it's all sugar. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> thanks all for tuning in. I know this was a, a whole lot of just sort of tea that we're spilling tonight. I think um, we're gonna try to intersperse these with more researched, structured. Yeah, but the, like yeah. this, this is a format. Tell us if you like this format. If you like this sort of story time format, or if you have anything you'd like to hear us do an episode about, we'll certainly take it into consideration. Absolutely, whatever we're willing to share. There's really not anything I'm willing to hide. So. Honestly, like, you know. at this point, I I was so ashamed about everything all the time that it broke my shame meter. You know, just let us know. And, uh, of course, like we said, if you need to unpack some things yourself and just, like, put it out there into the universe, send us an email at um, edensapplepodcasts at gmail.com. Love you guys. Bye. Bye.